The Energy Gang is brought to you by Keiko New Energy, the fastest growing solar inverter company in the Americas. Keiko has been in business for more than 100 years and has been making superior German quality PV inverters since the 1990s. It's been manufacturing many of them right in San Antonio, Texas since 2013. With a wide range of residential, commercial, and utility-scale inverters, Keiko works with developers and installers in every corner of the solar market, making it the preferred brand across the U.S. and throughout the Americas. Learn more about Keiko's superior quality and service at keiko-newenergy.com. From Green Tech Media, this is The Energy Gang. I'm Stephen Lacey. On my own, without the regular gang, they'll be back next week. In recent months, we've seen a sharp increase in requests from listeners asking us to cover jobs in clean tech. They want to know where the jobs are, what kind of skills are needed, how to get trained, or where to go to school. There are lots of educators or people at economic development agencies trying to stay ahead of the curve as well. If this industry becomes as big as everyone says it will be, how are schools and local communities going to reap the benefit? This subject is particularly relevant right now, when everyone is talking about the future of work. We are in the middle of one of the most dramatic, one could even say violent, economic transitions in history. The forces of globalization, automation, and consumer tech are shattering our traditional notions of work. In parallel, clean tech and other distributed technologies are changing what it means to work in energy. So this week, I'm sitting down with Tamika Jacques, the Director of Workforce Development at the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center. We are here at the Mass CEC, and she's going to help orient us in this new energy economy to the best of her ability. Tamika, thanks very much. Thank you for having me. So Mass CEC opened its doors in 2009 in order to provide financial and technical advice to clean energy companies to boost the local economy. Um, And... Disclosure, Mass CEC was an early investor in green tech media. To start, we're going to take a look at what it takes to build the clean tech job strategy in a state or region because Massachusetts has been really successful. And then we're going to get into common career questions and maybe look out further and explore the nature of work as well, which everyone is thinking about. And it's changing faster than we imagined. So what does the director of workforce development do, Tamika? Well, Part of my job is with, you know, really in line with Mass CEC, because we are an economic development agency, um, really my day-to-day is making sure that I am developing innovative programs for all the residents in Massachusetts. So that could mean someone that's in kindergarten to someone that's transitioning in their career to maybe that someone's retiring and wants to start a new business. So every day is a different day here at Mass CEC. Um, but as long as we're developing innovative programs that can really help all the residents of Massachusetts, um, that's a little bit of my job. That's part of my job. So what's your long-term goal then? So my long-term goal is to make sure that I'm really um, in tune with what the market says. So, you know, we have a clean energy industry report that we give out every year. We do data around it. Um, and so it's really my job to make sure that I am looking at that data, how it comes out, and I'm able to translate that data into programs that can benefit all of the residents in Massachusetts. That data is looking pretty good. I think in the most recent report, Massachusetts now has over 100,000 jobs across the clean tech sectors. 
What's going on within those numbers? So within those numbers, um, you know, solar is definitely um, one of the high employed numbers and also energy efficiency, um, you know, specific more to Massachusetts. There's different sectors within. We see an uptick in um, electric vehicles. We see an uptick in offshore wind. So really, you know, the industry is wide open at this point for 105,000 workers, as it was listed in um, 2016, um, in various sectors. So it's pretty, it's wide open right now. This industry sees a lot of ups and downs and uh, businesses thrive. And then the next year they may be hurting. Uh, There may be a lot of job job opportunities in one sector and then they're just non-existent in the next couple of years. How does that impact how you look at developing a workforce in Massachusetts or New England? And what are some of the bottlenecks or issues you've faced as you've tried to build jobs in this space? Sure. Well, the first one that I could think of is that, you know, in the beginning, we were a high, I want to say, educated industry, right? So a lot of uh, the companies wanted, you know, engineers and developers. And so that kind of, you know, shut people out in the beginning. But now that the products are being developed, they really need people that can sell the product or install the product. So I think, you know, before that was a bottleneck as far as, you know, wanting someone that was highly educated, you know, your engineer or your PhD student. But now um, I feel like it's opened up because now, you know, you can go work in energy efficiency with a certificate. Um, and as you're building your stack, as you're building your credentials, we call them stackable credentials, um, you can move, you know, through the career path. So I think in the beginning, it might have been a little bit of a bottleneck. But I think now that the products are developed and they need to be sold, a lot of companies need um they need those that type of talent and skills, and that type of talent and skills all you know often doesn't take a, a higher degree for that. So, would you say it's uh, easy to get a job in this sector in Massachusetts? Yeah, I would say that. Um, if you look at our 2016 um, report, you'll see that a lot of associate degrees um, jobs are open. Um, they're looking for people with you know certificate trainings, and I think that um, not only is it is this an opportunity sector, but it doesn't matter what your major is as well. So, you know, I've had um, a student that was a child care major and she found out about our internship program and her skill was she was great at office management. So she was able to, even though she was a child care major, she was able to take her um, internship as an office manager and move into the industry. So I think that it's, it, it is easy, no matter what step, wherever, if you're a new college grad, if you're trying to trans- transition into um, this pathway, I think it definitely is. There's a lot of uh, entry points that are available to everybody. Why invest in this sector? Why did Massachusetts rally around clean tech specifically? I mean, just to jump back a little bit, you know, you said why. I think the evidence actually is there. We're seeing our numbers now, right? So in 2016, we've seen a 6% growth in jobs. Since 2010, we've seen a 75% growth. And I think that, you know, if you look at also the numbers, 70% of the jobs in this industry are, um, you know, you can make $50,000 or more. And that's, you know, more than the median uh, income in Massachusetts. So I think um, 
that this was a viable sector um, that, you know, it couldn't be, you just couldn't skip over it. And I think that when we talk about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, I think that that's big, right? So that's very big. And then clean energy is very, you know, the clean tech sector, while it's very small, it's very vibrant. And we're talking about, you know, a billion dollar industry. So it was something that in order to make sure that our residents have, you know, want to, we're an economic development agency. So it's, it's all about economic development for our residents when we're talking about the workforce. So um, this was a, an industry that could provide, you know, a good economic means for someone that has a family and wants to, um, you know, provide for their children, wants to, you know, send their children to college or just wants to have a better life than maybe what they've previously done. We've gotten a lot of, we've got a lot of questions from listeners, many of whom sent in questions via Twitter or who have emailed us. So I want to try to get to as many of those as possible because it's on the top of everyone's mind. Let's just start off with folks who are early in their career or who are students considering moving into this space. What should they be looking for in terms of skills development and resources that will help them figure out exactly what they want to do in this very broad sector? People always say, I want to work in clean energy. That can mean a lot of things. Absolutely. I mean, the first I would say is, you know, find an internship. You know, Mass CEC has a very um, extreme internship program, as I you know, call it. We've placed over 2,000 students at internships at clean energy companies across Massachusetts. But I would say to someone, you know, really think of the sector that you want to try out. Um, because the great thing about being as, as an intern is that it's for a limited time. And if you don't like it, you can just say, you know, oh, I didn't like that and then try something else out. So I think that if you're a student, it's important to try to get an internship um, and and try out each sector to see what you like. But also, you know, part of that is really networking. I think networking is is really key because you need to be able to go to different events that might happen, whether it's at um, Greentown Labs, you know, participating in their energy bar, but being able to network so that you can talk to people and get to know what their day-to-day, you know, job is or attend um, a clean energy a clean energy conference. We, you know, we sponsor a symposium for college students. So I think there's a lot of resources here in Massachusetts. Um, and I think our universities also do a great job of, um, you know, providing events and having speakers. So I would say really tap, try to tap into some, some good networking opportunities. And I think that will help someone really get started to see where they fit into this industry because it is, it is very big. One more disclosure. GTM has also used that <laughs> internship program. We found some great people through that. And I, I couldn't agree more about going to events, too. The internship piece, a lot of folks talk about, but I don't hear people talking about the need to go to events as much. And we're lucky here in Boston because you could go to a new event every night. And there are world-class universities, and the level of speakers and the the level of um, discussion is very high. But I talk to students at a lot of the events who come in and they just want to start meeting people. And it's a really great way to get a feel for um, what people are talking about and can give you insight on the way that people are thinking about issues that you might not read in an article or in a brochure somewhere. Okay, so what if I'm considering what to do in a university uh, I'm an undergraduate student, or maybe I'm looking at getting an MBA. Are there particular programs around the country that you think stand out that people could look at? Or at least when they're evaluating a program, what should they be looking for? I think that programs that can give you a diverse 
mix of classes. So a lot of times if you're going for an MBA, you can concentrate on a certain constant, you know, you can decide what your concentration um, is going to be. So instead of just going to an MBA program where you just get an MBA, I think it's important to ask those questions, you know, is there a way that I can concentrate in if it's energy efficiency or, you know, whether it's around data? And and I think those are the best programs because not only do you come out with an, an MBA, but you also can say that you've had a concentration. So you've taken four or five classes and that you're an expert in this subject based on the classes that you've taken. So I would just encourage someone, you know, even with there's a lot of certificate programs, you know, that people can take now. Um, Even at community colleges, definitely, you know, Bunker Hill Community College has a great certificate program around energy efficiency. And I think that um, if you can find a a program that also would give you some hands-on experience, so whether it's just, you know, even able to provide a job shadow for one day around someone. I know some MBA programs allow that or um, a program where they give you some real experience where you're solving a problem for a company. I think those are um, the best ones where you have to do a capstone and really solve an issue so that you can, as you're transitioning, you're using that 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 class to, to show what you've done. And if I'm a person who has not gone to a specialized program, Maybe uh, I'm a liberal arts student, and I haven't really done anything specific in the renewables field, but I know that I have a passion for the environment, or I'm really interested in getting into the solar industry in some way. What are some pathways for people who are coming out of their undergraduate degree with more generalized experience um, who want to get into an area that requires more specific experience? So I think that it's just a matter of really... That's where networking comes in because I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that will apply to a job and I could tell you to have a great resume and match, you know, what it says in the job description, you know, to that change your resume every time. I could tell you that. But I I really think the key if you want to transition into this industry is to really go out to events, as you mentioned, you know, um, because that's the face to face, I feel, is, is a lot more important than a piece of paper on a resume. And if you're able to network and be able to really um, tell someone, you know, your story, I think that helps a lot of times more than just your resume. All resumes, you know, all of our skills are transferable and it's important to show that on your resume. But I think networking really gets you that face to face and able to tell um, your story. So that would be my advice, as I said, that just continue to network, network, network. Our events team may hate me for this, but we often take volunteers. We're probably going to get a flood of emails, but we do take volunteers from undergraduate programs or people who are just getting their their start in the industry, and they get to come to our events, help us out, and then start networking with people. So that's a real, there's a real high value to that as well. And we recognize that. And I highly encourage people to try to figure out ways to get to events. And there are ways that you can get into events for free. You mentioned in the beginning that there are a lot more trade jobs here in Massachusetts as the clean energy economy has grown. Any other any areas that are particularly noteworthy that people should be paying attention to? Well, I'm always right now, you know, I'm going to revert back to solar because that is one of our highest numbers. And I think in Massachusetts, we are unique in that, you know, in order a lot of times 
when when they're installing the solar, right? So you have to be an electrician. Whereas in other states, it's not so much you have to be a licensed electrician. Um, but I'm I'm always I would say that you know I think that be, we talk about transferable skills and to be an electrician. Yes, you want to install solar, but again, there's also other things that you could do um, when you're not installing the solar. So for me, it is again I would say that. And I know people are paying attention to solar, so I don't think anyone's not paying attention to it. But I think that solar has some some really good, if you're a, a licensed electrician, there's really good pathways. But as well, you know, offshore wind has an uptick as well. And so there are other labor unions that it takes to go on the water um, and to be, you know, OSHA certified and to climb up, you know, tall towers or to be a diver, right? So something, if you have a passion for diving, you know, that that's another opportunity for you. So I believe that there's a lot of, it's not just solar, um, but I think, you know, because of offshore wind is coming, and um, I think that there it's more than just one vocational pathway. I think there's several of them out there. And has Massachusetts done anything specific to integrate certification programs or to help folks who are in the trades make that switch so that they can start taking on new types of jobs? Yes. So I can speak to um, a few years ago during the ARA, the ARA funding. And that's the stimulus package signed in 2009. Um, and so through that funding, we were able to um, actually do weatherization training, and that was at community colleges all across the state. And that specifically was for tradespeople that were in this industry and wanted to get a certificate to build, again, a stackable credential to build upon those skills. Um, they were able to do that, as well as we also funded um um, the painters union as well as they're painting bridges and you know they're spray painting bridges we don't want that paint you know kind of coming in the water so they were trained um, around that as well so there is definitely um, Mass CEC has invested in training programs for people that just want a certificate or vocational programs we also have invested in um, high schools that are vocational as well partnering with our Solarize program so one of our um, high school programs partnered with Solarize and over Greater Lawrence Technical Vocational School and those students were already electrical students and they were um, able to partner in, with Solarize and over and they actually installed the solar on someone's roof um, in the city of Andover. So there is definitely, Mass has definitely invested in the vocational um, pathway because, again, not everybody wants to go to college, right? And there's the opportunity is wide, whether you just want a certificate, an associate, a bachelor's. Um, th- there's so many opportunities. I hear from a lot of folks who are mid-career and who see the opportunities in this space and want to change jobs, and they always ask, what are the best areas to get into and how should I sell myself in order to work my way into one of these fast-moving companies? What generalized advice might you have for someone who's looking to make that mid-career switch? It really depends on what their interests are, I want to say. Um, I think that, you know, someone that's an accountant <laughs> can definitely, you know, come into this industry. Someone that is able to sell a product you know, well, if they have that sales experience, because I think right now, as you see in our industry, and it talks a little bit about this in the report, is that, you know, again, as I mentioned in the beginning, we had a lot of PhD and and engineering jobs were needed. But right now, the products are being developed, and we really need someone that can market those programs and can sell those programs. So I think that if 
Um, if you're looking at sales or marketing, you're trying to find, you know, what your niche is, I would say, you know, if you think that you have that that gumption to be a seller, you know, try that. Or if you think that you can help us market this industry, I think we're always um, looking for that. And if not, you know, clean tech is also manufacturing as well. So I think that, um, you know, manufacturing is, is a good, you know, opportunity as well. That's a powerful point there because a lot of people – imagine wind turbine technicians or data scientists uh, or any number of jobs in clean tech. But what you just said there is that all the jobs that uh, apply to any other industry are extremely important in clean tech. It's no different. I mean, and, and, and the industry is becoming so integrated into the local economy here and the national economy that it's really not a lot different than any other high tech sectors. Do you experience or do you see people experiencing uh, ageism or uh, having a problem acquiring new skills that will make them relevant when searching for a new job opportunity? How much of that is an issue when people are kind of looking to make that switch mid-career? So I haven't heard a lot about ageism um, per se. I think because You can be, like I said, you can be in high school and join this industry. You can be in your 30s and join this industry. Or you can be retired and say, you know, I want to develop this product and I want to put it out to market. So I think that our industry really um, is good on, you know, supporting the the diverse ages. What I will say is that our industry um, could use help with is, is attaining the women, Right. Because I think we are a very male dominated industry. And so because of that, it takes a little bit more to really invite all women into this industry and let them know that they also are um, a valuable resource to us. And no matter what the age, again, you know, we can use you um, in this industry. I mean, you might not want to be 65 performing air blower tests or being, you know, installing installation. Right. Because just you just don't want to do that at that age. But, you know, someone that is 25 and vibrant and can do that, that's something they may want to do. And that's a good career pathway. So I think that because our industry is it's wide open and it's vibrant, um, we we don't struggle with the, the age ism as much as making sure that, you know, the diversity component is, I think, a, a, a little bit bigger of an issue. This is a good time to recognize you for receiving an award recently. You got a Rising Star Award from the New England Women in Energy. Is that what the organization yes. is called? Yes. Yes. So you're, uh, what does that organization do exactly? Um, so they, <laughs> talking about women, <laughs> um, they bring women together all from New England who are um, in energy, clean energy. And Is that field big? Are there a lot of women in this region in that space? There absolutely are because it's not just clean energy, right? So you have like, um, you know, energy companies as well as energy lawyers, people that are, you know, dealing with uh, FERPA. I mean, it's it's just... It's it's wide open, um, and so at these events that newly sponsors and you again talking about networking, you get to meet someone from a national grid that is a lawyer, um, or you know other energy companies. So it is such an honor to be recognized by them as a rising star for, and the rising star award is for professionals that have um, less than ten years in this industry. So it's such an honor, and I would encourage um, women or male actually to join that organization because talking about networking and they have events all over New England and they're always talking about issues. Um, and so I think it, it is, is a great organization. 
This industry, like the energy industry, it's a little bit better in terms of diversity, but it still does have a diversity problem. What do companies need to do to be able to attract people from all sorts of different backgrounds? Uh, Genders, races, religious backgrounds, experiences, you name it. Why is that a good strategy in the first place? And what what kind of strategy should they adopt internally to make sure that they're getting from the biggest pool of people possible? Sure. I think that they should develop partnerships with um, diverse agencies. So, you know, for Massey, see this as something that, you know, is very important to us throughout the whole industry. So, you know, one organization that we're partnering with to, you know, to market ourselves and to tap into another network that we haven't tapped into um, is the American Association of Blacks and Energy. Um, we've also awarded grants to the um, Asian, the Asian American Civic Association. So I believe that you have to be deliberate about it um, and really create a strategy that, you know, when we talk about NUI, so if you're looking for, you know, women to kind of come into your organization, then partner with NUI so that, you know, your job is advertised or go to NUI events. If you're looking for people, you know, like you said, regardless of their background, you know, religious, like partner with that organization that you're really trying to, um, that you're trying to target. And I, and I believe we will have success if we do that. Um, sometimes we just have to think outside of the box and not just, you know, advertise on a web page. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's easier to advertise on a web page, but also just to partner and do events with these organizations and, and you'll meet the people that to that need, that's needed for your organization. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but my perception of the hiring process for many companies, from what I've heard from people, is that it's kind of a good old boys club. You continually go to the people that you know, and very often because this is a white male-dominated industry, people go to their longtime friends and colleagues, and so the cycle perpetuates itself. Do you see that as a problem in hiring generally? I, I, I mean, if I said no, I, I would... You know, I would be lying. Yes, it is a problem. But I also believe that, you know, because we are so innovative and, you know, our industry is open to having, you know, diverse people in it. And we see it all the time. We we don't see it maybe in the numbers that we want to see it. But our industry is very open. And I think that's the importance of networking because, you know, you get to know somebody. And, you know, when, when you meet someone, you really don't know who they are. You don't know their story. But if you keep going to the same events, you know, um, you will run into some of the same people. And so I think that, yes, it some people have said it's an old boys network, but I think that as, you know, diverse individuals are let in, then they'll bring other people that look like them. So yes, that's true. But I think that we are also, um, this industry is also open to have diverse candidates. And, um, you know, because the number is, you know, 24% of, um, in 2015, 24% of the new hires were women. So imagine if 24% of the new hires were women, then they have to be bringing other women in with them. And I think it's important for when we get a job to really pay it forward, when you find someone that is talented in the skills to really guide them and mentor them through to show them how to get through um, this industry. And I think if we all did that, no matter if you're a male or a female or what your diversity is, I think that we would see the numbers go but we have to intentionally um, do that. So I think that that number, while it's low, the 24% number, but those are 24%, that woman, those are women that are in and they can bring other people with them. It's a positive iterative cycle. What's unique about this industry is that it is so incredibly diverse 
sectorally. Uh, and so therefore, you just have an enormous number of job opportunities, everything from manufacturing to back office to installation uh, to operations and maintenance. That diversity is, I think, a real critical piece of what makes clean tech unique. I definitely agree. And, you know, this field is open to anyone. So, you know, wherever you are in your life. So whether you are just coming in for a certificate, whether you're coming in for an associate's, a bachelor's, being an engineer, an accountant, a child care major, um, I believe that we are a very diverse industry. And all the way up to the engineers, to the PhDs, um, we are definitely, and, you know, this is massive. Massachusetts. And so the number of universities and the places where you can go to to receive that education at Bunker Hill, you know, community college, if you're going for a sustainability certificate, the, the opportunities are endless. And, you know, because this is Massachusetts, you know, you might have heard this week that U.S. News, you know, World and Report just ranked our state number one of all the, you know, of all the states. Um, so I think that that's a good indication that, you know, we have economic stability here and the job growth is, you know, it can, it's, there's definitely more to come. I know it's going to be positive and we will take anyone. This industry is really open for anyone, you know, regardless if you're 18 or if you're 70 and, and you have this new program um, and you're looking for someone to invest in and develop and to be an entrepreneur and start a new business. We're going to just quick pause the conversation here to talk about our sponsor, Keiko New Energy. Keiko is one of the fastest growing inverter companies in the Americas, a result of its commitment to quality, top-notch performance, and state-of-the-art technology. Keiko produces a robust portfolio of inverters for residential, commercial, and utility-scale applications. Leading developers continue to choose Keiko because of its superior engineering and unmatched levels of technical support and customer service. Keiko produces its inverters for the Americas in San Antonio, Texas, where 20% of its employees are U.S. military veterans. Very appropriate for this week's discussion. Keiko is ready to serve any installer or developer looking to maximize their solar production. You can learn more about Keiko's inverter models and its commitment to quality at keiko-newenergy.com. Now back to our conversation with Tamika Jacques. This has clearly taken a deliberate approach over the last decade. But Massachusetts and the Boston area, you know, has an embarrassment of riches. You have world-class universities. You've long had uh, a biotech and high-tech sector. You have people from all over the world coming in here um, as professors and as students and to, to, you know, startup companies. So that infrastructure was kind of already in place. What happens to a region that may not have any of that infrastructure and needs to start from scratch? Any advice for someone with maybe a similar job to you in a different area of the country? Sure, yeah. I think that um, that you just have to, you know, want to have like persist, have that attitude to persist because I don't think I'm different than anyone else. Um, that's why that we've really started reaching back to our middle schools and to our elementary schools because if you are being, if you have an awareness in kindergarten of what clean energy is or STEM is and and something, a light bulb goes off, then 
you're able to go through your educational pathway knowing that there's opportunities available to you and that, you know, so we're sponsoring clean energy activity days in Massachusetts where we are going to six elementary schools um, across the Commonwealth and we are sponsoring a day with them to do activities. So, for instance, um, Brockton is going to um, put together solar ovens for their students. Or um, we have a local high school in Boston, the Mario Umana Academy, who is also going to put together solar, together solar wind kits. And we're talking about fourth graders. So if if you're aware of that in third and fourth grade, and someone is is showing you the opportunity, talking about you know how you can get involved at a young age, and you keep on progressing that. Then when you are decide what you want to do, whether you go on a vocational pathway or if you want to go into higher education, you're already aware of what you need to do to get there and what it takes. So I think that that is something that our industry is just starting to do is is, is reaching back to the to the younger folks to let them know of opportunities. And, you know, along with the STEM Council in Massachusetts, it's something that is definitely um, one of their priorities to make sure that you're not getting this information, as you said, the establishment at a late age that you know about the establishment at an early age. I'd like to broaden this a little bit and contextualize this amidst the sweeping economic changes that we're seeing. As I mentioned in the introduction, uh, automation is really changing what humans are going to be doing, a lot of the traditional jobs in this country. Clearly, a lot of people are still going to be making things with their hands, but many of the jobs that require repetitive motion are going to be gone. Even many of the Jobs that require higher education are going to be supplemented by uh, artificial intelligence. Um, One of the biggest employers in this country, truck driver, will soon potentially disappear because of automation. I mean, I don't think people have really grappled with the shift that is coming. And clean tech kind of fits squarely within that change. Um, As someone who thinks broadly about workforce development, has a a long career in this, and is also focused on this fast-growing industry, how do you contextualize this amidst the massive economic changes that we're, we're going through? How do you think about getting ahead of those changes is what I'm asking. Yeah, I think that we try to stay ahead of them by, again, as I mentioned before, stackable credentials, right? So we know that, you know, you're an engineer and you have this degree or we know that you have a certificate in energy efficiency. I think that, you know, trying to stay ahead of the curve, as you said, you know, everything is going to be automated. So someone won't even be driving a truck on the highway, as scary as that sounds. But um, I think that if we can stay ahead of the curve by getting a stackable credential, so when new technology comes out, because you're still going to need a programmer. You're still going to need a coder to do that. You're still going to need um, an accountant to um, pay your staff to develop this. So as as new technology is coming, I think it's important for us to to stay ahead of the curve and, and be inventive about it. That's where the community colleges, that's what they were founded on, is that they were there to make programs that didn't need a lot of changes so that they could be responsive to the business community. That's what their uh, missions are, if you look at their missions. I think what is most interesting about the economic shift that we're going through is that um, it's really worked its way into politics in a way that has made it so that everyone is talking about it. You know, how are we going to put people back to work? What is the role of globalization? And it's brought the issues that you work on into a much 
greater political context. And so now everyone is talking about under, say, a Trump administration, how do you reach the people who feel economically disconnected? How do you bring some of these regions back to life? And, And I'm just wondering, without making policy prescriptions, do you have any generalized advice for how to contextualize or how to how to think about um, growing new industries, maybe specifically clean energy, how to support some of these new industries uh, and how that feeds into policymaking. So I know you don't want to like say this is what policy should be in place, but I think there are general principles that you've abided by that may help people think about this as they start to address these issues around the country. Mm-hmm. So I think that um – you know, a regional approach is always good, you know, to start regional, to start local, to start with your community. You know, when you look at training programs, I think that if a local um, region really knows where the jobs are and the best paying jobs, I think we can be focused on those jobs to to, to making the community aware um, if you have some really intense training. So not everyone has six months to go to a training program, but if you can also find a way to make programs more intense, so whether it's a four-week training program, a five-week training program, and then after have some hands-on training as part of that with paid hands-on training, not just, you know, working for no wage, I think you give someone a taste of um, what it would be like to work in that industry. So I think that it just it's 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 more about being aware of what's happening in your region, what's happening locally. I think that's how we will be able to help the people that maybe are dislocated, unemployed, um, really get into our industry nationally, not just in Massachusetts, but nationally. What about the regional variability of some of these jobs? Um, in Appalachia, for example, Communities have been losing coal jobs for decades because of mechanization, and now that coal is under threat from both natural gas, cheap renewables, and some regulation, uh, many of those jobs are are just probably not going to come back. And everyone says, well, let's apply the principles of clean tech economic development to these communities. can they be applied? Can the same principles that you're adhering to in Massachusetts be applied to those communities? And do you think that many people in the coal industry or for that or the oil and gas industry can make their way into this industry? So I absolutely believe that because we all have transferable skills. No matter what you're doing, all your skills are always transferable. And the Federal Department of Energy um, just said that you know in solar um, that solar employs more than coal, gas, and oil, you know, and that's across the country. So there's 300,000 workers. And I think that those employees that are part of um, the coal and and the gas industry, we would welcome them because, again, their skills that they have, their skill sets, we can use them um, in in the clean tech industry as well. So I think that um, if those uh, workers are made aware of the opportunities that are on the side, they would want to join our industry if they find themselves losing their jobs. We were debating this in a recent podcast, and my co-host Jigger Shah said, you know, there are opportunities out there, but you can't just take one regional model and apply it to another region. Some people are just going to have to move. And, you know, he's a big believer that that people moving around this country is going to what is going to open them up to new opportunities and that's a really tricky issue you can't just say to people who have been there for multiple generations in Appalachia sorry you can get a job but you're just going to get up and move and i'm wondering if you see that as a 
problem in that, yes, a lot of these jobs are going to be out there, but they may not actually be in these regions where coal has has historically reigned or where the oil and gas jobs have historically been. There is a really specific regionality to this that's tricky. My personal opinion is that they do not have to move. And if policymakers really want to be able to help their local community and help their residents, they are going to have to invest in the infrastructure and invest in business development of getting the businesses there. And I think that's why Massachusetts has been successful. Um, and we do serve as a model for other local communities because, you know, our, you know, our governor, whether it's signing the energy bill that he signed this summer, he's he's committed to that. And I believe our policymakers are committed to that as well. So do you have any final advice for job seekers out there? I would encourage them, again, as I said, to network um, around to definitely go to events when you see them. And so I would just encourage them to really do their research, try to find some hands-on learning opportunities for them, whether it's a job shadow day, um, being able to job shadow someone in the field. Um, but I would just encourage them that no matter what your age is, no matter what your race, your religion, your diversity, um, this sector is it's for you. And um, we, we are open. We want you. So can you give us some resources that people can look up so that they know what kind of educational and certification programs are out there and, and what kind of companies are hiring? Sure. So the first one would be Mass CEC has a jobs board. So um, it allows you to see the jobs and also post your resume um, on that jobs board. And that's masscec.com backslash jobs. You can go to that website. Also, clean energy education dot org will um, allow you to see all the universities in Massachusetts, all the certificate programs, associates, bachelors, masters, PhD programs, and also just encourage you to um, look at our industry association, the Northeast Clean Energy Council dot org. You should go on um, their webpage. If you are a female, I encourage you to go to N E W I E E, which is Newey's webpage. Um, there's so many. If you Google Greentown Labs, that will help you see um, some events that happen um, in the local Somerville area. Um, and I think that would um, that would that would lead you. Yeah, that would lead you to some some good some good networking opportunities and some great events and some awareness. Yeah, absolutely. We'll feature many of those links in the podcast show notes. And again, just backing up what you said, Tamika, go to events. I think. Um, listening to conversations and hearing how people are framing this stuff is really helpful for figuring out how to work your way in and apply your interests to this industry. Tamika Jacques is the Director of Workforce Development at the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And this is the Energy Gang from Green Tech Media. You can catch all our episodes on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. All of our back episodes are there and at greentechmedia.com. Feel free to send us your feedback, your questions, your ideas at podcast at greentechmedia.com or hit us up on Twitter. Feel free to ask us more questions about workforce development. And thanks for joining us. And thanks to Keiko New Energy for sponsoring the show. We'll catch you next week. I'm Stephen Lacey for the Energy Gang.